Well, we're here to celebrate Easter Sunday, and uh, Easter Sunday is one of the three most significant days in the history of the world. Uh, the first, I would say, is the birth of the Savior, the God Himself becoming one of us, born, and we celebrate that at Christmas. The second, of course, was what we, we remembered, reflected, and celebrated on, on Friday, which is the death of of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the death of the Savior of the world. But the apex, the, I think of all three, the most significant is Easter Sunday. And the reason that is, is Easter Sunday was God putting his stamp on what happened on Easter Friday. You see, on Easter Friday, Jesus made these claims. Jesus talked about this, that, that he, as God's son, was going to die a painful death, tortured on behalf of every person who's ever lived and whoever will live. He paid for our price, of the price of our sins. And so Jesus announced that, and, and on Good Friday, he, he bore our sin in his body, the Bible says. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would, we would be sitting here going, well, Jesus was a, maybe he was a, a, a good martyr. Maybe he was a well-intentioned person. Maybe he had lofty ideals. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was just deceived. Or maybe he was a deceiver at worst. If he hadn't risen from the dead, we would just be going, well, you know, he's just another guy who lived. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And here's what, here's what it said. It was God's stamp. There's three things that attested to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. The first was that witnesses heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That was God the Father attesting, he's my Son. The second were the amazing miracles that he did like no one had ever seen or has ever seen since. And the third and the most emphatic was the Son of God rising from the dead. He was dead, he was buried, he was wrapped up in cloth, and he, he, for, two, for three days, Friday, Saturday, and then there was a moment where the Holy Spirit came upon that physical dead body and resurrected him just the way you and I are going to be resurrected with new bodies one day if we're followers of Christ. Come on, who wants some new knees one day? I'm telling you right now. Who thinks some, good, some new hips would be great? Come on, I know you do. All the over 50 said, amen, hey, amen. So all the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recount the story of the resurrection as the most important. And they all, uh, some of them are eyewitnesses. Some of them are around at that time. They all capture and capture different parts of the story of the resurrection. I encourage you to read it. It's the last chapter of Matthew, the last chapter of Mark, it's the last two chapters of John, and it's the last, uh, and it's the last chapter of Luke. I want to read out of a few of these uh, gospel writers their recollection under the anointing of the Holy Spirit of what had happened. I'll start with Matthew. Matthew says, after the Sabbath, you see, Jesus was crucified on a Friday was quickly buried before sundown because sundown was the beginning, of the, the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath. So from Friday at about 6 until Saturday about 6, uh, they, would, they weren't able to do any work. They weren't able to do anything. So they, pretty, they quickly got Jesus' body, buried it in a tomb, and, and wrapped him up. They didn't have time to complete all the, the embalming that you would normally do with the spices. And so they put him there. They went and they did nothing for 24 hours and waited. And then, and then 
some women who were followers of Jesus went back early on Sunday morning with some, with some spices, with some embalming material to finish the job that they'd begun on the Friday afternoon. They had no idea or no expectation that he wouldn't be there. On the way there, they began to wonder how are they going to actually get in because he was buried in a rich man's tomb which had a big boulder across the front of it which was sealed by a Roman seal. It had a guards guarding it. and they, and although So their grief obviously blinded them. They didn't think how they'd get in there. They just went there stricken by grief because this one they thought was the Savior had been brutally crucified and they'd watched it. They'd seen his pain. They'd seen the screams. They'd spent 24 Four hours in absolute torment, wondering what was going to happen, wondering how they'd been deceived, that this hope of the world had been crucified, not knowing or seeing. And so they rush to the tomb early on Sunday morning. Matthew says it like this, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. As a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I want to talk a little bit about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. It says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It's a little confusing, the amount of Marys that are in the Bible. Like there's, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene, who we'll talk about. There's, there's another Mary, which is actually G, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister-in-law. Okay, so Auntie Mary for Jesus. Then there's Mary, the prostitute, who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Then there's Mary, the mother of one of the disciples, James. Then there's Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Like, there's Marys everywhere. It is, it is Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Feels a little bit like our church with Dan's. Like in our church, okay, you know, we've got Pastor Danielle who goes by Dan, so she's Pastor Dan. But then in Melbourne, we've got Dan Frecker who also gets called Pastor Dan. Now it starts to get confusing. Then on staff, we've got a Dan Bowman who prefers to go by Big Dan, although Dan Frecker in Melbourne would like himself to be Big Dan, but we've called him Melbourne Dan or Handsome Dan, so we've got Big Dan here. Then now we've got a new intern in Melbourne called Dan Best, last name Best, who calls himself the Best Dan. It's just super confusing. If you're, so if your name's Dan here, we've got a youth Dan now. If your name's Dan here, you're in the right place. Just like Mary, we're going to work out who you are eventually in Melbourne or here on the sunny coast. All the Dans are welcome at church. We've got two Shekinahs. I mean, what's the odds of that? Shekinah in the Bible means glory. And so we've got two on staff, mind you. That would mean we'd have a double portion of the glory of God here at C3 Powerhouse. Just, just saying. So there's like a whole stack of Marys, but this is this Mary Magdalene. She's called Mary Magdalene because she comes from a town called Magdala which is just south of Capernaum, which was the basis of where Jesus did a lot of his ministry on the Sea of Galilee. And so the Bible doesn't say a lot about Mary Magdalene, except when it first introduces her, it talked about a group of wealthy women who were disciples of Jesus, 
who traveled around with Jesus. One was, one was uh, the, the wife of Chusa, who was Herod, the king's general manager. So, so like the, the guy running the country in so many ways, his wife traveled around with Jesus and was, was part of the vision builders, the vision investors, supporting the ministry of Jesus. And then there was, uh, there was others. There was Susanna, there was Salome, and one, and it introduces Mary Magdalene, Mary from Magdala, and says that she was the one who was delivered of seven demons. That was her introduction. We don't know what sort of demons. We just know that at some point in her life, she was horrifically tormented. At some point in her life, she was controlled, whether it was with sickness, whether it was with the debilitating, crippling something, whether it was mental, whether it was torment, whether it, whatever. But somehow seven demons harassed, controlled, isolated this woman. She would have been an outcast, but she met the Savior of the world. And in an instant, he delivered her of seven demons, changed her life, and she became one of the, the traveling disciples. You see, Jesus was really different to, to everybody else in the culture of that day. He had female disciples. In, in that uh, climate, in that era, and in many eras like it, women were treated as second-class citizens. Women weren't allowed to participate in a church service in the synagogue. Women were only allowed to go to the outer court of the, of the temple. They weren't allowed to go in. They weren't allowed to touch the Holy Scriptures. They were literally treated as second-class citizens. But when Jesus comes along, he talks to women, which was frowned upon. He engaged with them. He healed them. He, he, uh, he ministered to them. And many of them became his disciples and traveled around. He was a revolutionist. In that moment, Jesus made women realize that before God, you are created equal in the eyes of God. And you can, you, you're different to men, but you're created equal in the eyes of God. And he released them and set them free. And the first person who Jesus saw when he rose from the dead was Mary. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon if I got rise, rose from the dead, now, I know, that's, just come with me for a moment. This is where my imagination goes. If I got raised from the dead, and I could, like, Jesus got a new resurrection body, so that meant that he, he still ate, but he could walk through walls. I mean, it's the best of both worlds. He still ate. He walked through both walls. Every calorie was, was canceled as he ate it, apparently. That's, in the, that's my own version, all right? So I reckon if I got raised from the dead, I'm, I'm going back to Pilate. I'm like, hey, remember me? Your wife told you through a dream you shouldn't do anything to me. Remember me? I'm going back to the high priests and all, all those guys. I'm like walking through the wall going, boom. I'm back. But apparently that's not how Jesus did it, all right? Just say, this is where my mind kind of goes. But Jesus walks, uh, the first person he sees is Mary. Mary, so th this is the, the, the uh, chronology of what happened in that moment, Melbourne. This is what was going on. That Mary runs in and sees that Jesus is not there. The stone's been rolled away. The guards are laid out. She, she's at this point, she's not thinking Jesus has risen from the dead. She's thinking someone's stolen his body. Sees an angel. The angel says, go and tell the, the, the disciples. She runs. It's not too far away. I've been in Jerusalem where, where they believe Jesus was crucified to, and the, the room where they believe the disciples where she runs, finds Peter and John, and John in his version of events, I love John, John describes himself as the guy that Jesus loved. 
I love how the Holy Spirit allowed the personality of each of the gospel writers. He's like, this is what John says. He says, the guy who Jesus loved got to the tomb first. Not competitive at all. He's like, I got to the tomb first, and then I stopped, and then he doesn't say, oh, this is the guy who Jesus loved. That's his, he, he was the last one to write the Gospels, so no one could correct him now. So he's like, the favorite of Jesus got to the tomb first because he's the fastest runner and stopped and looked in the tomb, and then Peter went in and saw that he wasn't there. And then a second time he says, and so the one who got there first, you should read John, it's hilarious. I feel like David Crowder, that would be exactly how you would write it in the Bible, right? That's what you would do. Dan Frecker, that's exactly how you would write it. I know you would. The one who Jesus loved. And so he, they got there, and at this point, they're not thinking Jesus has been risen. The boys aren't. The girls are starting to get the picture. But Jesus, but Jesus appears to Mary. Let's just go down here. I think I've got it in John Okay, I've I've taken it out of my notes, but essentially she thinks Jesus is the gardener. And she says, Jesus, it says to the gardener, can you tell me where you've put the body? She's still locked up in, I want to go and put the spices on. I want to embalm him. Why did you steal his body? And then Jesus in a moment just says her name and she goes, teacher, it's you. You're risen from the dead. And this is the thing I I love about the fact that Jesus first appeared to Mary, okay? This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus is okay with messy. Like, he's okay with messy. He's okay with with the woman with seven demons, whose life is obviously messy, delivering her and her being one of his disciples. He's okay about her having a past, He's okay about her having stuff going on. In this moment, she's distraught, crying her eyes out. She's been distraught and hasn't slept for a couple of days. And she still hasn't got the picture. And I love it. Jesus appears to her in her her brokenheartedness. I want to tell you this today. You might be here at church, here in Melbourne, watching online, and your life's a mess right now. I want you to know that Jesus is okay with messy. He's okay with your mess. He's okay with the addictions that you've got right now. Like when I say he's okay with them, it's like not that he's endorsing them, but he's okay with you connecting with him when your life's still in a mess. So often Christianity or religion or people's perception as this idea that if I'm going to go to church, that then I've got to get my act together. I'll get, when I get my act together, then I'll, go back to, then I'll go to church. I want to tell you today, we don't need you to get your act together. Jesus doesn't need you to get your act together. He wants you messy, brokenhearted. He wants you addicted. He wants you to come in with broken relationships. He's not worried if you're divorced. He doesn't, he's not worried if you've been through seven partners. He does, he's not worried about what's going on in your life. He's not worried if you don't have the kids right now. He's not worried about what's going on in your world. Jesus is okay with messy. He's just sending out his love to you. That's the message of Mary to me. Jesus speaks to a woman uh, by, by, the, by the lake at one point, or by a well at one point, and, and he's, he just engages with her, and her life is a mess. But he begins a conversation with her, and I want you to know today, no matter what's going on in your world, exact, just come exactly how you are. 
He loves you. His arms are wide open for you. And once you let him come into your life, because that's his aim, he wants to come into your life. He wants to come in so that you feel loved just the way you are. But this is what I love, this, this saying, you might have heard this before, God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So here's how it works. It's not you get your stuff together and God accepts you. It's you come to Him messy and He accepts you, and then He begins to pour love and healing into your life and my life. I love our churches filled with people, people who have been addicted to, to drugs for 25, 30 years, and they've met Christ, and they've put some things in place out of that relationship with God and been free for years, people who have been alcohol addicted, gambling addicted, people who have had all sorts of a mess in relationships and met Christ. Does things be, do things become perfect in a moment? No. But if like Mary, you chase after Jesus, you pursue him, he will meet you. I love that he met Mary first. Luke, Luke tells a, a different kind of part of the story. Luke chapter 24 of the resurrection says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the, the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, these are angels, stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hand of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I love this phrase that the angels said to these women while they're trying to work it out. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're in a, a, a sepulchre, a, a, a tomb, a, a place where dead things are buried. Uh, in Jewish tradition, a body would, would be there for a year until the bones were buried somewhere else. And so it was kept in this tomb, and then, then it, the whole de it would decay, and then the bones would be placed in a family tomb. And so the angels say, hey, hey guys, he's not here. You're looking in the wrong place. He's alive. He's risen. And the answer that what you need right now is not where you think it is. And the point that I take out of that is just simply this thought that spiritual life doesn't come from natural things. If you're looking for, if you're looking for spiritual answers, you're not going to find them in dead places. If you and here, here's what I here's what I found. See, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes three verse eleven, God's made everything beautiful for its own time. He has placed eternity in the human heart. Every person listening to me right now, God has placed eternity into your heart. He's placed it. There's a, there's a homing pigeon, you know, homing pigeons that can be thousands of miles away, but they know how to get home because they've got this, this inbuilt signal to get home. Well, in your heart, God's placed a homing signal, a, a, a signal that you will never be satisfied until you're connected with the God, the God of eternity. You just won't be satisfied. You, you, you can try everything else. 
I love our neighbors. Uh, we've got really, some really good neighbors. And I, I was listening last night. One of the, the husband works away a couple of, two to three weeks at a time and then comes back to two to, two to three weeks at a time. And he just came back on Friday and we're going to hang out with him uh, tomorrow. And, and so when he came back, I can always tell he's back because the wife who's, uh, who's at, lives next door laughs and laughs and laughs when he's home. But when he's not, you can just tell. He's not home. So he comes home, and I'm, I'm sitting out in our backyard, and I can just hear raucous laughter. It's like this, my soulmate has been away. Now my soulmate is back, and everything is right. In, you can just feel that sense of relief and that sense of joy at a soul level. Well, you're, you're, made, you're a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being who has a soul, who lives in a physical body. And I want to tell you that this eternity that God's placed in your heart, this homing signal for eternity, that's why so many people come to church, connect with God and go, oh my gosh, I'm home. What is that? Because you're created for heaven. You're created for eternity. You're created for a relationship with God. And all the other stuff, as good as it might be, that's a soul level or a physical level, it's not going to satisfy the ache of your heart for a connection with God. doesn't matter how good it might be. Look, I'm a football fan. I love rugby league. I love, I love Aussie rules. My team, in, Aussie rules is undefeated, just saying right now. My other team in the, in the league just got defeated on the weekend, but we're both, we're on top of the ladder. I love football. I love going to the football. It's awesome. I love it. But I want, you, I want to tell you something. It's, it, I love it for my soul. My soul enjoys it. But then after, after a little while, it doesn't fill my heart. It's good, but it fades. The gym. Come on, some of you love going to the gym. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh, I love going to the gym. Okay, some of you just lied, but that's okay. In Melbourne, just write, I love going to the gym. The gym, it's awesome. It's important to be fit. It's important to, it's important to look after your, your external body. But, but here's what I want you to know. If you don't have a spiritual connection with God, it, it's, it's, it's on this level. And if you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction by looking good, by being physically fit, fit it will not do it because it's looking for life in all the wrong places. You know, and these are good things. Maybe it's achievements. Maybe it's excelling in your workplace. Maybe it's uh, accumulating wealth. Maybe it's being academically successful. Maybe it's doing well at school. Maybe it's uh, developing the gifts that, God, that, you, that you've got. And it's all good, but here's what I want you to know. Whenever you try to find your fulfillment in stuff or things and not God who created you, it's going to leave you feeling empty. It'll be okay for a while. I love what here on the coast, Jason shared his testimony and said, I felt like life was pretty good, but at different times I felt something was missing. You know what was missing? Eternity. It's in your heart. You need to be in, and this is what the angel's saying to these guys. Don't go looking for the living amongst the dead. I want to say to somebody here today, don't go looking for your spiritual life in something that's good, but it's not God. Whether it's, whether it's wealth, whether it's creations, whether it's your social media followers, whether it's how many likes you get, whether it's how many friends you've got, all of that will ultimately leave you flat and empty, good in and of itself. But it will not fill the hole that's in your heart, the ache that you have in your soul to connect with God. 
Spiritual life cannot come from natural things. Jesus met this woman at the well, and he records it in John 4.13. He said, anyone who drinks this water from the well will soon become thirsty again. Anyone who finds their ultimate highs from natural things will soon need another natural high. And then that won't be enough. And that will not fulfill you. And then that will not fulfill you. And then you'll maybe start looking at illicit things to to give you fulfillment or to escape you from reality. This is what he says. If you drink this water, you'll soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give, he's talking about spiritual water, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. There is a source of spiritual life that your heart was created to experience that will only become from a relationship with God where He lives on the inside of you and bubbles up with a joy, unspeakable joy, peace that you can't explain, a love that floods from God Himself, and that's what will fill your heart. And good things are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to go and watch the footy probably later on today. It's good, but it's not God. It's good, but it's not God. It's going to leave you empty. And whatever it is that you're putting up on that pedestal is, I think this is the new thing that's going to make me feel satisfied. This is the new hobby. This is the new holiday. This is the new activity. This is that new purchase. It's going to make me feel good, but eventually it won't because you are created with eternity in your heart until you connect with God. Spiritual life cannot come from natural things. Here's the last thing I want us to look at in Mark chapter 16. This is another look at the resurrection of Jesus. This is from Mark, who's uh, retelling Peter's story. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. There it is. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. This is, his, this is the 11 disciples. Number, apart from John, they bailed on Jesus. They, they went missing. Peter was the extreme version who told Jesus in front of everybody else. He's like the leader of the disciples. He's like, I'll nev- doesn't matter if everybody else betrays you. I will never betray you. He had a sanguine moment. I love it. I'll never. I'll always be there. You can rely on me. And Jesus looked at him and said, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And Jesus, see, the other disciples, they just bailed. They saw trouble coming and they bailed. Peter didn't just bail. He was asked and he vehemently denied knowing Jesus. He swore and blasphemed that he didn't know Jesus. And the third time that he did that, the rooster crowed immediately and Jesus looked across the uh, the room and saw him and in a moment he knew that he was done. And so these disciples, not knowing that Jesus is alive, having seen the empty tomb, are hanging around in this room, and, the, and Mary goes and tells them he's alive, and we, we pick it up. They did not believe. After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. So these two went and told them, we've seen the risen Jesus. They did not believe that either. And then he went and told it to the rest. So later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. Probably the table where they had the Last Supper. Probably that table, that upper room that they were waiting in. 
Bible says that they'd locked the doors because they were afraid that they were going to be crucified, that the Jewish leaders were going to come after them next. So they were, they were fearful. They were ashamed because they'd bailed. Peter was absolutely distraught. They were wondering, have we been deceived? Their hope was shattered. They, they were in deep grief, deep mourning, deep disappointment, Deep disappointment, not in, in Jesus being crucified. They'd seen the torture. They'd seen him taken away, but deep disappointment in themselves. And we learn an interesting thing about what deep disappointment and grief does to the human heart. Jesus appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe they would that those who had seen him after he had risen. I mean, Jesus appeared to these guys a number of times. And he recognized that there was a hardness in their heart towards him and even believing because of grief, because of disappointment. The Bible tells us that your heart is the center point of your life. Bible tells us that if you guard your heart, uh, because all things flow out of guard your heart, but keep it well because it will set the boundaries of your life. Life flows out of your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. And so these guys' heart had been smashed. And the result of their heart being smashed was that it got hard. And they weren't able to believe. They weren't able to love. They had no joy. They, they were locked up, frozen. And sometimes in our life, we've had experiences, moments, seasons, words, actions that cause us to be disappointed in others and cause us to be disappointed in ourselves that causes pain and grief and wound us, and to preserve ourselves from more pain, we harden our hearts. But the problem with a hardened heart is it's the heart with which you believe. I remember talking to a man who's a member of our church now, but for many years he, his wife would come to church and his kids would come to church. And, I, and he would sit and listen to, and, and all these amazing spiritual things would happen around him. And I remember sitting down with him once going, Let, let's talk about what you're, what's going on. And he's just like, well, it's all good, but I just, nothing's going off for me. I, I kind of understand it up here, but nothing's happening in my heart. So I began to talk to him about his upbringing, his past, and he began to tell me about his, a harsh father who treated him harshly and at the end of it we had this conversation that sometimes if we're treated harshly or controlled by a parent or, or or things have gone not well in our life that we develop a hardened heart and it actually stops us emotionally connecting in loving relationships with people around about us and it ultimately stops us believing in God it's the blockage and I wonder if you're here today, this is what Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe something's happened in your life. Maybe, 
Your husband's a workaholic and you've hardened your heart. Your wife had an affair. You've hardened your heart. Injustice has been done to you. You've hardened your heart. Maybe you've done something and you think you've disappointed everybody, including God, and your heart's hard. And so when it comes to someone telling you today that God loves you and He's got a plan for your life and He wants the best for you, it's very hard to receive that because your heart's hard. And I want to tell you today that one of the first things that Jesus wants to do in your life, as he did with, this is what I love about Jesus. He didn't just go, well, stuff you guys. You don't believe. I'm out of here. I'm getting another 12. In fact, Thomas wasn't even there. He showed up to the 10 of them and began to minister to them. They were having a pity party. They were supposed to be in Galilee. He said, go to Galilee. We'll meet you there. They weren't. Thomas wasn't there. And so like, Typical young fellas, they're like, we saw Jesus. And he's like, no, you didn't. He goes, unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands and where the spear went into his side and into his feet, I won't believe. And you know what Jesus did? He just leaned into it. He came back again. He goes, Thomas, I hear you wanted to do some things. He goes, Lord, Lord, I don't need to. I'm so sorry. He said, no. I'm going to meet you right where your unbelief is. I'm going to meet you right there. Here's the great thing about Jesus. You can say no, 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 but he keeps chasing. He keeps pursuing. He's not put off by your unbelief. Just lean into him. Ask the questions. We do this thing called Alpha. It's a course about Jesus and who he was. And there's, there's you, you know, I'm pretty sure you're not going to come up with a question no one's ever asked in 2,000 years. Ask the questions. Open your heart. Let Jesus heal you where your heart's been hurt. I want us to close our eyes right across this room right now. Father, I'm just praying today. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the resurrection, the seal that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with you. And I pray for every person here, every person in Melbourne, every person who's watching online. Lord, if things are messy, you're okay with it. You can walk into mess and change things. Jesus, for those of us who have been looking for spiritual life in the wrong places, I pray today we'd find the spiritual life through you. God, and for those whose hearts have been hardened through pain, grief, disappointment, whether it's recent or whether it's decades old, I pray you'd heal our hearts. Those whose fathers were tough and distant. So when we tell people that you're a good father, it's hard to make the connection. I pray today you would help us make the connection. Melbourne, I'm going to release you right now to Dan Frecker. I'll bless you as you go. Have a great rest of the service. For those of us in the room right now, I want to give us an invitation. If you're still watching online, I want to give an invitation. You were created to be in a relationship with God, a beautiful relationship, a personal relationship. A relationship where he speaks to you, where he helps you, where he heals you where you're hurting, where he, where he heals up your broken heart, where he guides you in your life, where he whispers to your heart. A relationship that's amazing. You're created for that kind of relationship. 
And this morning, I want to give you an invitation for that kind of relationship. Not an intellectual knowledge about God, but a personal, real, powerful relationship with God. And in this invitation, in a moment, if you've never had a relationship with God, then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you'd like to in your seat, and you, I'll just acknowledge your hand. You can put it up and then put it down, and then together we're going to pray a prayer. And the prayer is simply this. The prayer is simply saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I need forgiveness for my sin, and I ask that you would forgive me for where I've fallen short. I, I put my faith in you what you did at the cross, my Savior. And the other part of that prayer is, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Instead of living life my way, I'm going to follow you and live your way. That prayer, that's the entry point to a relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God on your terms. You can only have it when you're forgiven, you put your faith in Jesus. You might be here this morning and there's been a moment where you've prayed a prayer like this and where you've walked with God, where you had a personal relationship with Him, but you've drifted away from Him. And today you know you need to get back right with God. In a moment, I want to invite you to respond as well, to reconnect with God. The opportunity to connect with Him is here today in this moment. You might, you, maybe you once knew that peace. You once knew that joy. You might have grown up going to kids' church or Sunday school or youth group or been in church, but you drifted away. And today, I want to encourage you. Pray this prayer with us of reconnecting with God. Or maybe you're just not sure when you die if you're going to go to heaven. You see, when God comes and lives in your heart, there comes this peace and confidence about eternity. You know when you stand before God that you're going to be accepted by Him into heaven. You know. And if you're here this morning and you don't know, you don't have a peace or a confidence about this, I want to invite you in a moment to pray this prayer with us so that you can leave this place confident and assured you're going to go to heaven. If you're watching online, this moment's for you as well. So right now, I'm going to count to three in a moment. When I count to three, if you're, if you're one of these three types of people, one, I want to put a relationship with, I want to begin a relationship with God. Or two, you want to come back to Him and get right with Him again, make Him number one again. Or three, you want to be sure you're going to heaven. When I count to three, I want you to put up your hand. One, two, three. Three. Just raise your hand and say, that's me right now. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? Just put it up real high. I said, that's me. That's awesome. Thanks, mate. I see your hand. Thanks, mate. I see your hand as well. Who else right now? Would you just raise your hand? If you're watching online, this is your moment to get right with God. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? You're just saying, yeah, I want to get right with God. I want to begin that relationship with God that you're talking about. Something's missing in your heart. Something's missing in your life. And I want to tell you today, it's only going to be found with, through a connection with Jesus. I'm waiting. I, I feel like there's a couple more people. Sometimes our heart moves slow. Our head moves fast. We can be having all sorts of uh, excuses and reasons mentally why we shouldn't do this. But your heart's telling you, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to come back to God. You need to get right with God. So I'm looking around the room one more time saying, if that's you, just raise your hand. Say, John, I want to pray that prayer. I want to get right with God. Just raise it real high. Real high. So that's me. 
That's me. I want to get right with God. Awesome. Awesome. All right, we're going to pray this prayer. Those of you watching online, you want to do this, I want you to pray this prayer along with me as well. Say these words after me. You're not praying to me, we're praying to God all together. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me and for my sin. I'm sorry. I've lived my way and I'm turning to live your way. Cleanse me of my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I renounce the devil and all his works. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I thank you this morning that I am forgiven, born again, and going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's put that, your hands together for all these people. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Numbers of people. A great moment for you. And this is what I want to encourage you. If you've responded today, or maybe you're just on this journey of getting to know more about God, keep going on the journey. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. I want to invite you, uh, if you put your hand up today or you're, you're wanting to know more about God, two things that we always encourage people to do. Number one, just keep coming to church. This is an atmosphere where you're going to meet people who are on this same journey of a relationship with God. And so we'd love to help you connect with Him. The second is, and Jason referred to it earlier, is a course called Alpha. And so we have this course that we run uh, once or twice a term. It's, it's uh, been watched by millions of people around the world. It's about a six-week course where you just watch a video for 20, 30 minutes, and then you ask questions and have a discussion about Christianity and what the Bible says. Things like, does God still heal today? Things like, uh, what, why do bad things happen to good people? All those kind of questions that, that we'll answer and talk about and discuss together. Can we stand to our feet right now? He is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Oh, what a Savior. He's beautiful. I want you just to close your eyes again just for one more moment. I don't think God's finished today working in hearts. I'm conscious that there are people here. That third point I was talking about where grief and disappointment has caused hardness of heart. And maybe you're not ready to put your hand up yet to connect with God. But maybe you are prepared to let His Holy Spirit begin to work in your heart to free you from the pain of your past, the disappointments, the failures, So with every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, you know every person in this room. You know every person watching online. You know the injustices, the abandonment, the pain, the abuse, the words, the betrayal, the guilt, 
the shame, the disappointment that so many of us carry. And I thank you, Jesus, that the Bible says you're the healer of the brokenhearted. So I'm inviting you to come into this room right now, right as we stand here, right in our seats, and pour out your Holy Spirit. Heal hearts. Release pain. Minister to our brokenness and disappointment. God, we don't want to live with hard hearts. I want the team to sing just over us. You can sing along, but just stay in this room, in this atmosphere for a little longer. You can lift your hands and worship if you want, but there's healing of hearts in this room right now. Come on, receive the Spirit of God. Where there's grief. Come on, some of you have got grief. Still bottled up. There's healing here today. There's healing here today. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, church. Josh, I'm going to hand back to you. Thank you so much.